What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I'm your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Guys, real quick before we begin, I want to quickly tell you about my new coaching program, Elite Property Foundations. It's officially launched as of the 1st of June, and it is now alive and kicking with members. If you are a novice property investor or you would like to be a property investor, this is the program for you. I guarantee it's going to take you from feeling nervous about what you're doing to being both highly knowledgeable and confident in your decisions. There's a load of features and benefits, so you should definitely check it out. I'm gonna leave a link in the show notes below. That's all, I hope to see you inside. Now let's get on with the show. What's up guys, welcome back to another episode. And today I am going to, first of all, start with a thanks to all of you. And that is because in the past week, I have just received confirmation that Behind the Facade podcast hit number one in the investing category in the charts um, for podcasts. So I'm absolutely over the moon, delighted, kind of makes it all worthwhile when you see the number one spot. I screenshotted it, uh, so I'll, I'll be sharing it in social media and stuff like that. But really, I have to thank you guys because, it's, you know, okay, I show up and I put these things out, but it's only because you guys are actually listening that they rank in these charts. And so really grateful. So guys, if you've been listening for a long time, if you're only a new listener, whatever it is, thank you very much. Uh, really appreciate it. Now, it's been an eventful week, and um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what happened to me this week. It's been very interesting. So on Thursday, I had a dinner with a guy, and this chap flew over from the UK to meet me, to, to buy dinner and to, to have a, a discussion. And that doesn't happen a lot. I meet, I get a lot of people who want to have a coffee and things like that, but to bring me out for dinner and to also, to, you know, make the journey from the UK and stuff like that. So quick shout out to Ian for that. Thank you very much. Very nice dinner and a great conversation. Really very, very interesting conversation in a very nice restaurant. And um, it's inspired today's podcast because I found it so useful and interesting to have that conversation. It's not often that you have a conversation that gets you kind of thinking differently. And so um, this this is not just one podcast episode I'm doing. I'm actually going to turn this into, I think, a three-series podcast. So the next three will be kind of dedicated to this topic. And it is the topic of brainstorming and resourcefulness in property investment. And so the reason I want to get into this is because, you know, there's I've said it before and I'll say it again, Resources, a lack of resources is often blamed for the reason that your career doesn't move forward as an investor or whatever. People, they don't have enough money. That's what's holding them back. And that is, you know, it's a fair point. It is difficult to go forward without money. But what often happens is that it isn't the lack of resources that's at fault. It's the lack of resourcefulness you're not being creative, you're not thinking outside of the box. And I do know that there are people out there that have the money, they're sitting on money, and they're still unable to actually make anything happen with the money. 
And that is a lack of resourcefulness. And we're going to get into all of this. First of all, I guess what I should do is probably, um, I should define like what is the definition of resourcefulness. Resourcefulness is the ability to find quick and clever ways to overcome challenges or to solve problems. It involves being innovative, adaptive, and making the most out of whatever resources are available. And that's key, like what resources are available. You know, not don't focus on what you don't have, focus on what you do have. And obviously resources, what do I mean by resources? That could mean anything. That could mean something that you have to hand, whether that's money, whether that's materials, whether that's tools, information, um, or other assets that you can use uh, to achieve a particular goal or objective. Now, being resourceful, it is kind of in your nature. And so certain people are going to be more likely to be resourceful than others. You know, they will all, you'll always say he's kind of a natural entrepreneur or she's a natural entrepreneur. Those are people who are resourceful and they can see they, it's like an intangible quality or a skill. It's a mindset and it's an approach to problem, problem solving that involves creativity, uh, critical thinking and adaptability. In other words, thinking outside of the box. And resources obviously are, you know, they, they are tangible. Resourcefulness is an intangible thing. Resources are tangible. They are physical or material things that you can use to accomplish something. Now, is resourcefulness dependent on resources? No, it is not dependent. Uh, resourcefulness does not depend on the abundance of resources. A person can be resourceful even in a situation where there are limited or zero resources available. And then, and it's very, very obvious that, you know, it's sink or swim. You know, it's a survival thing in that situation. It's about optimizing and being creative with what you have. Um, having resources, and I mentioned already, you know, there are people out there that are sitting on, say, a ton of money, and they still can't make sense of what, you know, what the market is doing or where they're going to go. And, you know, having resources implies that it's an availability or an abundance of materials, whether that's tools or assets. Um, but merely having resources does not guarantee success. And if one, if one doesn't know how to be, how to kind of utilize the resources that you actually have to hand, you can be sitting there and it's as good as having no resources. And so that is one of the key things. And ultimately, the outcome of resourcefulness, like what is the outcome of having a resourceful mindset? It can lead to innovative solutions and it can often achieve more with less uh, and you're focused on optimizing and thinking out of the box. Having resources can obviously lead to success if you know what you're able, know what you're doing and if you're able to make the the resources work for you. But if you don't have a resourceful mindset, you could have a tendency to rely too heavily on the re, on the availability of assets without considering alternative, more efficient solutions. So somebody who's sitting on, let's say, 250,000 in cash, they might be sitting there and whereas that's a, 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 a very large sum of money to somebody who has no money, 
and somebody who had 250 grand might be able to go and do a ton of things. Somebody with 250 grand might be sitting there thinking, I don't have enough. I need more to be able to do anything. And so there you go. It just, in summary, resourceful resources, whilst very useful, they do not guarantee results. But being resourceful um, with or without results or with or without resources, it is likely that you will enjoy some measure of success. Uh, obviously, you can't make something out of nothing, but definitely it is a better attitude to have. And, and, that's, the, and that's where we're going to sort of start off. Now, resourcefulness has often played a key role in the realm of property investment. And again, I'm going to give you a couple of examples where resourcefulness comes to play. I mean, a lot of people, I get emails and I get direct messages and I get all these kind of things saying, what do you think? And it'll be a screenshot of a, of a, of a building for sale or a house for sale or something. And there's nothing imaginative about it. It's just you're buying it and you're just going to rent it. And it's just, you know, that is what it is. And like, you know, fair enough when you're starting out, I understand that that's the mindset you have. But I think you need to approach this in a creative way where you're you're kind of originating, you're coming up with original thoughts and original ideas. And here's some ideas, like for example, um, repurposing old buildings. Like there's a great, there is a, um, there's a TV show that I really enjoy watching and it's called Grand Designs. I'm sure you're familiar with it. And Grand Designs, what I love is the episodes where these guys go along, they find like an old industrial pump house or something like that. And, you know, there might be some sort of, you know, equipment sitting in there. And to most people, that looks like an abandoned building that is of no value to anybody. And these guys come along and like thinking outside of the box, being super creative, they turn it into the most incredibly stunning home or something like that. I mean, I just love that creativity. And that's an example, obviously, taking an old building that nobody wants, that's abandoned, and turning it into something desirable, something that suddenly reimagines it. And there you go, bang, you've now got uh, a building that everybody wants. You know, it's, it's suddenly desirable again. People want it. Um, another example, a, le- a kind of a more modest example of this would be house hacking, for example. So you need to go out there and you need to find a place to stay, but you also want to start your career off and you want to get going. Well, house hacking, you can go out, you can find a place to stay, um, but turn it into like, say, a five bedroom HMO and you go and move into one of the bedrooms. That is the most simple version of a house hack. Is it sexy? Not particularly. You probably want to live on your own and do all that. I get it. But, uh, you know, being cool and trendy is not always the path to wealth. Um, You might like to think it is, but that's what I'm going to get into on today's episode. Another area that could be of interest is, you know, utilizing crowdfunding platforms. Those are non-traditional ways of going about raising finance, and they can be very interesting. To give you an example of something that probably nobody has thought of, or certainly very few people, I've never heard anybody approaching me with an idea, but mobile home uh, investment park, you know, mobile home parks, those are, by all accounts, very, very profitable. But I don't see many people, you know, queuing up to go and buy one or to start one. And that is because 
it's not really the done thing. It's not common. And so because it's not common, a lot of people just overlook that. Um, and, that, you know, there's, there's lots of different things. There's other ways. People have gone out there. And, I mean, probably the most obvious example is if you take Sean Quinn, the former billionaire who went through all of this, you know, Quinn Cement and his big Quinn group. And after 2008, he went bankrupt. But I have to kind of give my, uh, you know, give my respect to how he began his career. His, I think his father died when he was in a teens or something like that and left a farm. And the farm was in Cavan and it was an area that didn't have particularly great soil and all of this kind of stuff. And so he looked at that and rather than seeing this as a terrible inheritance and like he wasn't going to be able to make any money from it, he instead thought outside the box and he turned the fields that he had, instead of grazing cattle on them and stuff, he turned it into a quarry. And that quarry went on to become the cement business. And it was an absolutely massive cement business that made him a billionaire. And he went on to reinvest and do all this stuff. Now, you know, Sean Quinn is also a cautionary tale at the same time, because he got greedy and went after the Anglo-Irish bank uh, he, he started investing in those shares using leverage and um, he, he went doing what, what, it was, what I was doing as well at the time, CFDs. And he put something like, I can't remember exactly, but I think he ended up with about 600 million euros worth of shares in this bank. And then they started to collapse in value and all of his, val all of his shares were borrowed. And so as it collapsed in value, he started to have to liquidate assets in order to pay that back. And the whole thing just unraveled his entire empire. But let's just not forget, he started with an old, you know, an old farm in Cavan and ended up a billionaire. Um, how he lost it, obviously, is, is kind of a shame. But I'm still, I still think that it is remarkable that he managed to achieve just from thinking outside of the box and doing things differently. So let's just get into, you know, what is the difference between resourceful um, and, and resourcefulness? Uh, there's a few other areas that I'd like to go, and it's, you know, brainstorming, the importance of brainstorming when it comes to property investment. And like when I say brainstorming, like you want to be resourceful, how do you go about it? Okay, well, let's start with the process of brainstorming. And, you know, if you sit down and have a look at what you have, the resources that you have to hand, and start then going through the process of identifying the opportunities. And a brainstorming, it can be either alone, but usually it's actually better in a collaborative process. You know, bring a couple of people together, maybe people with different backgrounds, different professions, and they can kind of lend their ideas into it as well. A lot of the time, the problem with being creative and brainstorming is that you only know what you know uh, if you know if you if you you know if there's stuff that you don't know then how can you brainstorm around that that's a black hole effectively now identifying opportunities brainstorming can help you identify various investment opportunities that might not be immediately obvious another area of um where brainstorming can come in handy is risk mitigation risk identification and mitigation Obviously, you sit down 
and you start brainstorming and you start looking at a property and you're thinking about buying it and you sort of say, okay, what, what could go wrong with this property? Um, you know, the, the, whether it's difficult to, to locate um, for, for tenants, potential tenants or whatever, you've got to go through a list of what are the potential risks What's going to stop you from being successful with this deal? And go through a list of scenarios and plan for those scenarios. So if such and such a thing happens, then what, what are you going to do about it? What, what else can you bring in? And you can brainstorm all of these things. And you may not find a complete solution to them, but at least having considered them and thought them through, you're in a position to uh, perhaps just be better prepared for if something happens. It might be a remote chance that something bad happens, but at least you're aware of it. So you're kind of, uh, you're on the watch for it. Creative problem solving. It's a great thing when you're, when you come from an architectural background, I walk into a property and people say, oh, you know, we have a big problem with this, you know, kitchen is too small or whatever. And immediately you start becoming a creative problem solver. You say, well, what if you take down that wall and what if you do this? What if you do that? A next minute you've you've resolved or you've started thinking outside of the box and that can create all sorts of knock-on benefits that you can start to look at so just it's important to sit down and try to think don't constrain yourself to a short amount of time to look at something go through this process rigorously yeah you know, i usually go and find myself a nice cafe somewhere and get a cup of coffee and just sit there and stare at the sheet and like look at, you know, do different ideas, doodles and stuff. And you eventually come up with solutions. Uh, resource optimization. If you're sitting there thinking that you have nothing available to turn into, you know, an opportunity or money or whatever, um, you can sit down there and brainstorm the different resources and how you could optimize that. And a lot of the time I sit down with people like, I've got no money. I say, yeah, but money's not everything. Like, how much time do you have? Well, I have lots of time on my hands. There's a resource. How much um, of a network of connections do you have? Well, I work in the construction industry. I don't know any investors. Yeah, but hold on. You're in the construction industry. So you know a load of contractors as per last week's episode. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that you can start to think about and optimize once you start thinking outside of the box. Collaboration and synergy is the next thing. Um, I mentioned already, you're probably better off sitting down with, you know, creative, open-minded people. Um, it's probably best not to sit down with somebody whose first answer is always no. Um, I, we, we joke about somebody in the family and we call him Dr. No. <laughs> and it's, it's a term of endearment at this stage, but his answer typically is no. That's the first answer. And, uh, and then, so, you know, he softens up after a while. But those can be... Um, those can be kind of hurdles or obstacles when you're in the process of trying to get creative. And so it's best to try to get people who are open-minded. And, you know, if you come up with an idea and you put it down on a piece of paper that you don't have someone say, that'll never work. Just put all the ideas down. Don't be blocking them before you've even got them on the table. And market analysis and trends. It's a good idea to brainstorm that kind of stuff as well. And obviously, flexibility and adaptability goes without saying. You have got to be flexible and you have got to be uh, adaptable in order to make this all work in the context of property investing, at least. Now, a couple of techniques for effective brainstorming. We talked about, the, you know, the benefits there, but 
like effective brainstorming, there's a thing called brain writing. And that is rather than speaking, you actually put everything down on like a post-it or something. And all of the ideas, like everybody's ideas just get jotted down on a single post-it and put up on a wall or on a table or whatever. Another way to do it is mind mapping. And this is something that I'll do quite often. And it's basically, you get out a sheet of paper and you start, you know, scribbling down ideas and then you create like a line off of that in a circle. And that is some sort of related idea attached to that. But that itself then might have other branches off of it. And so this becomes a mind map. And it is, a, you know, the visual way of drawing a mind map can often lead to far more creativity than if you're trying to type it out or if you're trying to write it out. So sketches and doodles are a great way to do it. There is a thing called the three five, or no, sorry, the six three five method. And this is something that you do in a group. But what it is typically is you will get six people sitting down together. And what you do is you get you get them to each write three ideas in the space of five minutes. So it's the six people writing three ideas inside five minutes. And in those five minutes, you get 18 ideas. And then after that, they pass the paper to the person next to them. And that person then will take it, take the idea from somebody else and start to build on the idea and stuff. And this is really good collaborative way of doing it because you've come up with the idea but how that idea is, you know, developed further is not now up to you. It's up to somebody else. And so that could be completely like off left field from what you were thinking. And it might actually be an even better solution. So but then you can always bring your own idea back to the table. But at least this is a way of developing and making it go further. There's loads of these. Another one here. It's, now, this one, I've never heard of this before today, but it's called the scamper technique. And the scamper stands for substitute, combine, adapt, modify, put to another use, eliminate, and reverse. And each of those is a prompt on how to think about an existing idea or a solution and how you adapt it in some way. And so that is one. Another one that we all probably have heard of is the SWOT analysis. And the SWOT analysis is where you sit down and you take out a sheet of paper and you go through your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. And you can do that either in a personal capacity and so far as your investment career where you stand right now today, or your professional career in work, or you can look at it from the point of view of, let's have a look at this opportunity I'm thinking of buying. What is the uh, what is the uh, strength of this property? You know, its location is good or something like that. What is the weakness? It has no public transport. Hmm, that's a bad one. What about the opportunities here? What could we do with this? And what are the threats? And you go through this and it starts to show up things that at least you'll find risks there that you can maybe uh, start to think about how you're going to manage those risks, how you're going to mitigate those risks. It's all about challenging assumptions. So a lot of us go at things with preconceived notions and assumptions. And you kind of think to yourself, well, you could never do that. But the reality is, is that is an assumption you do not know for sure. And sometimes the best thing to do is go back to basics and say, you know what? I don't know that that's not possible. So let's leave it on the table as a potential outcome. And then idea rating sheet. 
This is after the brainstorming session. It's always a good idea to use an idea rating sheet. And this is where you collaborate with the same gang. And what you do is you try to stack rank the idea, the best idea of the day. And so you go through it, you kind of look at how this could be developed further. What's the feasibility? What's the likely impact of it? And, you know, usually you'll get consensus from everyone around the table that this was the best idea and this is most likely going to end up being the one that um, that gets us where we need to go. Now, the next thing is the role, I mean, the role of collaboration when it comes to the brainstorming. I was talking about it there, but, you know, in a little bit more detail, why is it a good thing to collaborate with others rather than just by yourself? You need to be open-minded and you need to have no bad ideas. I mentioned you know, the negative person who can create a barrier to everything. You want to avoid that. You want to, but you want a diversity of ideas. And so people, individuals with different backgrounds. So I'd like to sit down. If I'm thinking about what I'm going to do with one of our buildings here, I like to bring the architect in, the engineer. I like to bring in the quantity surveyor and I'll sit down with those guys, but maybe I'll go outside of that and I'll bring in somebody else. And um, the idea is just that you have a pool of people each has a different skill set, each has a different sort of take on the market, and that is a really good way to make sure that you're covering all the different opportunities. And um, and so that's one. Synergy is another thing. You know, collaborative groups, make sure that it's synergy, that you don't have people shooting down ideas before um, you've developed them fully. Um, problem solving, obviously, you know, it's, it's all about trying to solve a problem, not... Um, not trying to kind of remove solutions um, at the outset. So whenever somebody comes up with a harebrained idea, you still leave it there. You don't go and knock them out. Um, combating bias and blind spots. Sometimes you may be unaware that you have a cognitive bias. And so that is a really important thing to bring in others to make sure that you're aware of your own potential weaknesses. Building consensus is another thing. now you got to be careful of this. There's a fine line between consensus and what's known as group think. I've covered this in my cognitive bias episodes in the past, but group think is where everybody is kind of all on the same page and everyone that nobody wants to kind of rock the boat and say, hold on guys, this, this doesn't sound like it makes sense to me. If, if you've got nine people all saying this is a great idea and you're there and you think it's a terrible idea and you don't speak up because, well, nine people, you know, everyone wants to go home, everyone's kind of tired now, and you decide to kind of keep your mouth shut, that's what leads to groupthink. Nobody could see that there was actually a mega, you know, big issue, and uh, and so that everyone kind of ignored it. And you sat there and didn't say a word because you, you're kind of embarrassed to kind of uh, be the person who's dragging down these celebrations of coming up with a great idea. Uh, the most important thing is just to encourage creativity. Do not be knocking uh, people who are creative. Just because they come up with a crazy idea does not mean that they are not able to come up with an amazing idea that will actually be the best idea of this session. Now, we've done part one. I'm about to start part two, which is what I'm going to start looking at sexy versus boring. What do I mean by sexy versus boring? Um, what I'm going to talk about here is the allure, the allure of trendy and trending property investments. And one of the things when I was sitting talking with Ian the other evening, 
is we identified a couple of opportunities in the market. And in the process of identifying these, the, one of the comments that I made was that it's really interesting, but it's not very sexy, uh, not very glamorous, not particularly uh, attractive to somebody who likes to be, you know, doing creative things and innovative things and stuff like that. But that's where the gold is often buried. So you have to be very careful that you're not out there seeking trendy, um, you know, the, the, the most kind of sexy opportunities that you can find, because that's what you want to be associated with, whether that's for your own ego or whatever. But sometimes it's the boring, mundane investments are where the best investments are. So looking at property, you know, trending property, you, you can see nowadays um, with Bitcoin and crypto and all that, like that was a trending asset and everyone was piling into it. And you saw what happened. You know, there was this high expectation of massive, massive returns. There was also massive amount of media coverage and hype. Um, there was a lot of social proof. Once you started seeing other people buying in, that gave it kind of validation. And when a friend of yours, you know, is driving a new car because they bought an investment and it did really well, suddenly, what are you thinking? You're straight in there. And I've done it. I've made it this exact mistake where I saw a friend of mine, um, he was buying shares using CFDs. And CFDs, of course, are this leveraged instrument you use to buy stock market shares. And he made 40,000 in a couple of weeks or something like that. I remember thinking, what, how did, that, how is that possible? And straight away, like within a few days, I had my own CFD account and I was trading in shares to have those kind of things. And this is what I mean by be careful of jumping on the bandwagon. There is fear of missing out. When you see other people doing well, you have a tendency to jump in because you want to be able to participate in that kind of euphoria. But when it's euphoria, a lot of the time, it's going to end in tears. And look at all of the crypto investments that have gone completely wallop. Like there's people out there that have lost everything. And these guys had made, you know, at one stage they were worth two million or whatever. And they're, they've got nothing to show for it. Like they have absolutely nothing to show for it. Innovation and novelty are often the things that people are chasing. They like to be innovative and innovate. Like I love innovation, don't get me wrong. But the problem with innovation is that there's often an innovation hype curve attached to it. And so the latest thing, you know, ChatGPT and artificial intelligence and stuff, there's a huge amount of hype around all this stuff. And everyone's out there building apps and things now that, you know, work with ChatGPT and artificial intelligence. And some of it is really, really fantastic stuff. But I'm very conscious of the fact also that there's a huge amount of hype around this. And so that's going to lead to overvalued shares. It's going to lead to people overpaying to get into an investment and, and all of that kind of hype. I've seen it before. And therefore, you have to be careful not to fall for that. Um, another reason, and this is where I talk about the four E's and, you know, your ego and your emotions. You've got to be very careful not to fall for status or prestige. And that is where you would start to invest in things primarily because you want that status. You want to be associated with something. And um, 
you may not even be aware of the underlying kind of investment benefits or pros or cons or whatever. You just, you're hearing everyone's doing it. So you want to pile in as well. And that is kind of, um, you know, basically investing with your blindfolders, with your blinkers on or your blindfold on. And speculative gains, that's the big thing. I've seen this so many times. Whenever there's these innovative things, there's always speculation involved. And when speculation gets involved, these are early day in early investments. These are like, for example, we'll talk about the crypto and stuff like that. This was not around for a long time. Um, the shares jumped, the, the cost and the value started to jump through the roof. And you've got somebody who buys something for 5,000, it's certainly worth 50,000. The, the guy who buys it for 50,000, it goes up to 100,000. So the guy that bought at five and sold at 50 is going, whoa, I gotta get, I gotta, you know, this thing is on the way to the moon. So he buys back in at 100. And so now he's actually, <laughs> he's, he's, he's really risking losing all of the initial investment that he made a return on. And off it goes again. And it's not going up for any particular value um, metric or it's not going up because of a certain story or anything. It's going up because another person is prepared to pay you more than what you paid. And that's what's driving the investment. So just be aware of that. That is the hype that comes with trends and stuff like that. Hot new trends um, create this hype. And the return, you know, you've got high returns, market excitement and liquidity this, the whole innovative sort of everyone starts talking about this is the way it is. This is the new world and stuff. And you get all this innovation talk. Um, now, people do like to diversify into new investments. So that's fair enough. Um, but it's a lot of the time it's driven by ego. And so be careful of that. What are the risks of getting into hot new trends? Well, the volatility I talked about. And you saw the way the crypto market goes up and down. That's at least something that you can avoid in property, but you got to be careful if you get into a certain trend in property. Um, you know, there's different, there's different hot trends that come out, and people kind of pile into these trends, and suddenly they like like all these things. The hype drives up the price, and suddenly people go, mm, "This is actually not as great as as we thought it was," and then the the, the you know the bubble starts to deflate. There's also a lack of historical data when you do anything new. One of the benefits of property investment is that you've got, you know, literally decades, if not hundreds of years of data proving that prices continue to rise in the property market. But with stocks, well, not with stocks, but with, we could say crypto. With crypto, it is so new. Some of the time these, these companies are like less than a year old and they're going through these like billion dollar valuations and stuff. There's no historical, proof or evidence that this is going to hold its value. And um, and so that's one of the reasons why you got to be careful. There's also regulatory risks. There's high competition and overvaluation. And uh, the high competition is a big one. Once somebody starts to enjoy success in a certain sector, everyone starts piling into that sector. And so you end up in a situation where you had market share and you had all this stuff and all of a sudden the market gets flooded and it gets saturated. And then ultimately what you get, you get herd mentality. And then with herd mentality, you get scams and fraudsters. And I've mentioned before, there have been scammers that actually used East Point as a location for one of their scams. And I was dealing with people calling me from 
uh, Australia and places, and they were saying that, you know, can you tell us, you know, can you go and knock on the door of such and such a building? Uh, I want to see if my investment is okay. And I was like, I know that building. There, there's, there's no such company there. And they're like, hold on a second, we have photographs. And it was all fraud. So be careful when you're out there. Um, and then ultimately, sudden changes in sentiment. That's what happens when, when the air starts to deflate. All of a sudden, people are like, let's get out fast. And when you want to get out fast, that's when prices crash very, very quickly. Now, getting back to the whole property investment scene, we were talking about trend, hot trends and all that kind of stuff. And I can remember back in 2005, I was piling into um, the retail sector. Uh, the retail sector is now today starting to make a bit of a comeback, but it went through 15 years of complete, just, it was just dead. Um, very depressing investment class if you were in there. Um, industrial property was always seen in the in, in 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 the past as being kind of mundane and boring like big sheds in industrial estates not very sexy those during the pandemic did so well that they went through this real revival and they've become hot asset class and so those are very very valuable these days um offices were always seen as sexy and kind of cool and uh, you can have you know your we work offices and all that that is kind of cool but at the moment, the office sector is really struggling. And so it's not a great time to be a commercial office owner or an investor. What else? Mobile home parks. I talked about that. That's an example of a great but often overlooked uh, property investment. You've also got, and this is something that I spoke about with Ian, senior housing or um, assisted living facilities, old folks' homes. Not sexy, certainly not sexy, but those can be fantastic opportunities. Um, Self-storage units, those are another area. I've, at times I've gone out and I've rented space from these self-storage units. It's a big warehouse with lots of little individual lockers and you can go and you can, you know, move your boxes into it and keep your storage stuff there. And I can remember I, I paid so much for a little room in this place and I think I was paying maybe 3,000 a year for this space. And I was doing the calculation one day and it was, I was coming up on 10 years that I had been using this place. That's 30,000 euro spent on a load of old boxes sitting in, a sh in like a storage unit of zero value to me. Like, I mean, I went in maybe once a year to kind of get something out of a box and that was it. But that's 30,000 spent on that. And so you can see how people just, they forget and they end up. And so the person who's renting that, they're renting this huge warehouse, probably at, you know, 15 euro a foot. And they're renting out a, a unit to you at, you know, 90 euro a foot or something. So they're getting six or eight times. I mean, these are just some examples. There's obviously loads out there. Another area that is often, you know, it's certainly, I've never heard of anyone doing this, but you see it often in the movies um, in, in the US, laundromats, where you go into the place and you, and you have all the washing machines and stuff. Those are, by all accounts, very profitable. Um, parking garages. Now, I have experience. I, I was involved in a parking garage or a parking, you know, car park building that we built. And I was involved in it for over 20 years. And in that 20 years, um, 
it went from being an incredibly valuable asset that just was, it was just a cash machine to suddenly the city of Dublin becoming very anti-car and started putting quality bus corridors in, started to improve cycling infrastructure and they and it was basically a war on the car, the driver of cars. And once that happened, the car park started to suffer. Now, it was still profitable because we could increase prices, but there, there came a point when we could see the writing was on the wall that a couple of years from now, this will not be profitable any longer. And so we got out when we could. And, um, and that's, you know, there's just an example of something that was a great opportunity, but that slowly the time kind of the trend ran out. And so that's it, guys. Like I've got long term versus short term. Obviously, when we're looking at short term, um, like long term is the way you should be thinking about investment. Long term horizon is, you know, that you're going to hold it for several years, if not several decades. Compounding is one of the main benefits. Compound interest, we all know what it is. Compounding is what happens when you buy something like a piece of property and it just continues to compound in value. So you, you might buy it like as I did over the years. I bought something for 85 and I received three times 85 in rent over the duration of the hold. And in addition to that, I sold the property for like 10x what I paid for it. And so that's what I mean by compounding. Volatility management. If you hold something long enough, almost always it levels out the ups and downs. If you hold it short term, though, then you can get in, the market crashes, you're out. Uh, tax benefits, a lot of the time, uh, certainly in, in this country, you can get into a property in your own, say, personal name or through a pension or something like that. There are tax benefits, but it's got to be a long term hold. And typically, the longer you're holding it, the lower the transaction costs and... Um, yeah, look, there's there's just lots of pros to taking a long-term view and being creative, being resourceful, thinking outside of the box and just try to avoid market volatility, try to avoid investment strategies that are short-term. Uh, and the reason, the biggest reason for that is because your emotions will play havoc with you. When you're on something that is short-term, and if it's particularly if it's a trend or something like that, or if it's this hot new topic or hot new asset class, it can go through this hype cycle. And if it goes through a hype cycle, your emotions will be run ragged and you'll want out as soon as you have an opportunity to get your money back. Time and effort is obviously the big thing. You, you know, short term assets are often require a lot more time and effort. Long term assets, you can sometimes set and forget. And, you know, by getting into a short-term asset, a lot of the time you miss out on those long-term assets. Closing thoughts. I just, I guess what I'm trying to say here, guys, my call to action to you all would be to think outside the box. Do not have a closed mind around what opportunities are open to you, what a particular opportunity might represent, just have an open mind, try to brainstorm, remember the resourcefulness versus having resources. And um, next episode, I'm going to get into part two, and it's going to be creating a mindset for success around this whole topic. And that's it for this week. I will see you all next week. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via the Facebook group that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher. You can stay up to date with all of my content and the various projects I'm working on over on my website, GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, please do add your name to the Join My Tribe thing over on the right-hand side. This will ensure you're kept up to date via my weekly newsletter. All of these links are in the show notes below. That's all for now. I will see you guys in the next episode.